Hey, uh, we want to wish you guys Happy Mother's Day. We want you guys to uh, just take care of your moms. We know that Mother's Day is a hit and miss for a lot of people. You know, some people celebrate it well. Some people season of grieving and loss. So uh, we want to be sensitive to that as well. But uh, it's a it's a good it's a good thing we're talking about grief today, right? Um, we're in this series about drawing nearer to God. Right? Drawing nearer to God, being being in a closer relationship with God. See, the problem with, with a lot of uh, Christianity, a lot of religious uh, action is that we believe that by doing things for God, by, by exercising some sort of obedience to God, that that is enough, that that is what justifies or, or what, what uh, makes us right before God. But the reality is, it's not about the quality Oh, I'm sorry. It's not, yeah, it's not about the quality of your faith, meaning how, how much you do or how little you do or what you do. What is the main heart of the faith is the object of your faith, which is Jesus Christ, our relationship with him. You see, I think, I think we grew up in a church and in a religious environment that tells us that unless you do certain things, then you're set, right? And, and you think that that's all you need. But the reality is you got to also be with the Lord and obey the Lord. It is a, both a being and a doing that actually grows your spiritual maturity. And this season, I, I want to let you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you, this series is a very difficult series for me because I'm learning, I, I hope I'm learning as much as you're learning, right? Uh, every, every message hits me like a rock because I realize how emotionally inept I am when it comes to uh, my spiritual uh, dealings with the inside. I'm pretty good about doing things for God but then when it has to actually deal with a lot of the inward emotional talks and stuff like that, I'm, I'm, I'm a kid, right? Or even an infant at best. So my, my, my encouragement, and I hope as you guys are walking through this, and, and I pray that you guys will go back and even listen to some of the past messages, right? Is to understand that there's, there's something about not just doing things for God, but you also got to be with God. There has to be a real relationship between you and God. Because if you're just being with God, you know what happens when, you, when I'm sorry, when you're just doing things for God? You know what ends up happening? You end up being like a legalist, especially if you grow up in the church. If, you, if you're all about doing things for God, you end up being a person that's all about how I perform, what I do. There's no change that comes from the heart. It's all about like, look at my resume, look at how much I have uh, put out there, right? Not about the actual power of the Holy Spirit sanctifying you. You have all the outward appearance, right? You know this. A lot of your parents are like this. Probably a lot of you are like this. Outward appearance, everything looks good. You serve. You do a lot of these things for the Lord. And everyone's like, oh, man, they're, they're such a great servant. They're such a great um, person for the church. And you look how honored they are and the respect that they are. But in reality, there is no change in their life. And one of the areas that doesn't change is you begin to look down on people who don't do certain things the way you do things. If you, if you don't read your Bibles enough or pray enough or spend time with the Lord enough or do these things, A, B, C, or serve, then you must not be a really good Christian. It's not the quality of your faith. It's the object of your faith that saves you. And once that relationship is there, the obedience comes with it. Right? And I want, us to I, want to, I want to give you a word of warning, as I give every single week, about the idea of just doing things for God. I don't want you to be caught mistakenly before God one day, and you stand in, in, in His presence, and He looks at you, and you look at Him, and you say, Lord, did I not do these things in your name? Did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not serve in your name? And Jesus will look at them, and He says, I have never known you. Yeah, you did a lot of things for me, but you never had a relationship with me. You never had a relationship with me. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's what the scripture says. And I don't want us to be caught in that area. So one of the things we've been exercising and we're kind of working through is developing a spiritual being with the Lord. And we've talked about a lot of things. We've talked about knowing your identity, right? taking off those masks that we wear in church and in life, that I'm only somebody based on what I do, I only, I'm only somebody based on what I have, or I'm only somebody based on what people think about me. 
If you want to grow with the Lord, you got to start taking off those masks and start realizing what Jesus says about you, what God says about you, that you are loved in him, that you are precious to him, that your existence is good in him. This is what he says before you've done anything. This is the identity that he's given to you. Secondly, we talked about going back to go forward. You want to you wanna change the trajectory of your spiritual legacy? You want to realize growth that comes out? You got to go back and recognize all the curses your parents gave to you, your grandparents gave to you, and your great-grandparents gave to you. All of these scripts that they've given to you now, part of who you are, either you cut that tie, you cut those chains, and you rewrite your script in the Lord, or you continue to be the projection of that curse to those around you in the future. You got to go back to go forward. You want to grow in the Lord? You want to be with the Lord? One of the things you got to begin to heal in your heart is the spiritual curses that are there. We talked about engaging in the dark night of the soul. That there will be seasons of your life where you will not sense the presence of God. There will be seasons of your life where he takes you down dark roads where you don't know if he's around anymore. But he does that not to because he hates you, not because he doesn't like you. He does that in order to rewire your affections so that you will have a deeper relationship with him. He takes you to the darkness so that you would actually hunger for the light. Not so that you would run away from him, that he's bad. He takes you. There's real seasons for believers to do that. And most believers in that season, what do they do? They run. Instead of embracing it, instead of growing in it, instead of dealing with it, they run from it. You're never going to grow to know God if you run from every single darkness that comes your way. You're never going to grow to know God if you don't start the moment of rewriting the script that has been so deeply embedded into your very being. You're never going to know God if you don't know your identity of who he says you are. Why, why are you continuously living in the lie of what everyone else tells you you are, your culture, even your family tells you you are, and not listen to what he says that you are? And last week I had a conversation with you guys about having an office with the Lord, a daily office with him. The process of being in solitude, silence before God. It's not about the perfection of it, but it's about bringing them in to their day-to-day activity, having this office. I've been practicing for about, about a month, really, like consistently about this, right? It's actually very beautiful, guys. I'm, I'm, I really encourage you guys to do it. At first, it just felt really weird because it was just silence, right? And I was just like, what am I doing? What am I doing, Right? But as, as, as the days progress into weeks, as weeks progress into months, I begin to recognize, you know what, I'm, every moment, the reality or the presence of God is very, permanent, or, or very prominent in my being. To have him there. How do you build a relationship with a God who loves you if you're not even willing to be with him? How do you grow into understanding of him if you refuse to even acknowledge him. My hope, my hope and my prayer for you guys is this. Build your relationship with God. Be with him. Don't get caught up always with the idea of doing things for him. In being with him, I guarantee you the obedience will come. You can obey, but you can never actually, you can obey and not be with God. But it is impossible to be with God and not obey. But today I want to share with you guys another part of dealing with your spirit. This is the hardest one for me, I think. I think it's one of the hardest ones for me, right? Uh, so I, that's why I have nothing profound about this. I'm just going to really just write down what I wrote for you guys or read what I wrote for you guys because I don't know if I can, like, um, draw from anything else. But the idea is this. It's just how we grieve. How we grieve. Grieving is not an emotion, I learned, right? Grieving is actually a skill that you have to learn, a skill that you have to master. There is a way to grieve that draws you closer to the Lord. If grieving is a real issue, losses that we feel, anger that we feel, these are real feelings that we have. And if we do not know how to grieve, it actually drives us further from the Lord rather than drive us closer to the Lord. You see, our culture has taught us incorrectly how to grieve. How do you grieve when a big loss happens? Someone, you get bad news from your doctor. Someone passed away. You got fired from your job. 
You went bankrupt. Situations at home looks fraught. How do you grieve? Most of us, we grieve by how? We self-medicate. Because that's what, that's what, that's what our, our culture tells us to do. Binge on alcohol. Take the drugs. Watch the Netflix. Anything, or play the video games. Anything so that I don't have to deal with my emotions. I don't have to deal with the problem. Anything that helps me escape. Anything that helps me run. Anything that helps me hide. i rather self-medicate than to actually do the work of grieving. Do the technique of grieving so that I will draw closer to God in my loss, in my anger, in my emptiness. But we don't grieve correctly, so what do we do? We medicate. What else do we do? We deny. We deny the issue. It's not a big problem. We live in denial of it. We minimize it. There are worse things out there right now for us. My problem is not that big. We blame others. We play the victim. It's so-and-so's fault. The reason I'm like this is my mom's fault, my dad's fault. The reason I'm like this is my church's fault. The reason I'm like this is because my job, my boss, they suck. So you begin to blame others or you blame yourself. I knew it. I am worthless. Everything they've told me. It's here. It's reality. I am a nobody. I am unlovable. You rationalize it. You intellectualize it. You distract yourself from it. Or you become hostile. These are ways in which our culture has taught us to grieve. And some of you guys are thinking like, dude, that's me. Right? Yeah, it is. It's us. We don't know how to grieve correctly. Grieving is a skill, not an emotion. Today I want us to learn this from the master himself. We're going to see a passage that Jesus is going to take us. It's a master class in grieving. He's going to teach us how to biblically grieve in such a way where you draw yourself closer to your God, where he transforms your grief into something beautiful when he takes it and he makes something wonderful when he, when he, when, and he resurrects it rather than for us to do what? Push our grief down, pretend it doesn't exist, hide from it, medicate from it, distract from it, deny it, rationalize it away, intellectualize it away. He's going to teach us how to grieve in such a way where it draws us to the Father's heart. All right? So open your Bibles today. Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 to 44. If you guys are out there, and you guys, are, I mean, I'm not a big Christian, Tony. I don't really believe in God, so I'm not sure if this message is for me. No, it is for you. Right? Because I guarantee you, you're probably grieving in the wrong way too. Let me, let me give you the resource in the word of God, my God, who loves you, who has made you, who wants to flourish you, who is doing everything he can to save you, to bring you into the relationship that you may have with him so that you can actually deal with your grief, your loss, and your anger in a way that is healthy. This is the Garden of Gethsemane. This is when Jesus knows that he's about to be given up, betrayed by one of his close brothers. This is the moment when he recognizes that this time tomorrow, me and God, me and the Father, we're going to be so separate. And we're going to see him go through a whirlwind of emotions and grief and loss here and work through this. Let me read this to you guys. Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 to 44. Listen now to the word of God, 46. And then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and two sons of Zebedee, James and John, along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face on the ground and prayed, 
My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is possible, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. And so he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the exact same thing. And then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go here, comes my betrayer. Let's bow our heads and we pray for us. Oh God, as we come before your word, help us to surrender to it. Help us, oh God, to recognize in its truth and its beauty the life-giving source for our soul and for our life and for eternity. I pray over my brothers and my sisters, the friends and families that we have gathered in this place today. Oh Lord, may you give them ears to hear, hearts open, and spirit attuned to this word which you have in store for them. Father God, use me to speak your word unworthy as I am. You know that, to do this. May your grace be poured out in this time. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. How do we grieve like the master? How did the master grieve in such a way where it brought him closer to the heart of God and the transforming power that ultimately came from the resurrection to go through into it, to get into that, rather than to run and hide and never be transformed. How do we grieve in such a way? What did Jesus do first? Jesus acknowledged his anger and sadness. Listen, you got to pay attention. You got to pay attention to the emotions that come when it happens. In this situation, you know what's happening here? Jesus recognized what was about to happen to him. You know, People read this and they think like, oh, he's, 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 he's grieving to the point of death, to the point of sorrow, he tells his, his three disciples. It hurts me so deeply that I want to die. And we're thinking, oh, it's because he's about, to hit, hit, uh, he's about to face the cross. He doesn't want to feel the pain. I don't think so. I think, I know, honestly, if you have an emotional pain, physical pain don't really, you're actually numb to physical pain, right? In emotional pain, he was stoned. He, was, he had mobs around him. Physical pain was not what Jesus was afraid about here. In this situation, the thing that brought his heart to deep sorrow, you know what it was? It was cosmic separation from the Father. Never in his life has he ever been in a moment separated from God the Father. He was in tune. He was plugged in. He was clear to the source of his Father in such a way that to rip that away would feel like death itself. Would feel like death itself. It's, it's almost, I, I was trying to think of a, an illustration that would, that, would, that would help us to even understand the separation. And I think I, the best I can, I can possibly imagine is that you living your life with all the faculties and the strength and the abilities and all your limbs and able to walk and all of a sudden one day you wake up, you get in an accident and you lose all ability to move and you're only just a vegetable state with just your mind, your whole body lost and you're in this place, separated from everything around you that you were so used to, so comforted by. And that's only a fraction of what Jesus was feeling at this moment. The sorrow that was building in his heart was the reality that he will not be connected to the Father. Why? Because the sins of the people. He knew that the only way to save humanity, the only way to restore what was lost in the human world, the, the world in which his Father created, the world in which he made beautiful, in which we as a, a, a collective decide to rebel and say, you know, I don't want what you want, God. I want to reject your word. I want to reject your authority. I want to reject your character. I don't think you know best for me. I want to live lawlessness before you. And in doing so, we separate ourselves completely from God, leaving in a life of turmoil and lostness over and over. Our mind is corrupt. Our heart is corrupt. Our body is defiled. And we are 
constantly in this rhythm, in this chasing, over and over, completely lost. But the good news is, is that Jesus Christ, the Father himself, sent the Son to restore true humanity back to us. But what it will cost the Son, what it will cost the Son is a separation from the Father. He was willing, but he was weak. And it grieved his soul. It grieved his soul to the point of death, the Bible says. But you know what it was? He didn't push it down. He didn't do the, the Christianese thing. All things work out for the good of those who love him. Right? He, he didn't just try to put a nice spin on it. Let's stay positive, guys. I mean, he knew he was going to come back, didn't he? He knew he was going to come back. But he sat in the pain. He sat in the sorrow. He sat in the anger. He sat in the loss. He didn't avoid it. The Bible is, you know, the two-thirds of, the, of Psalms is lament, right? Have you ever read, have you ever feel sad for your life? Just read Psalms. Then you're like, oh, he gets me. David gets me, right? The Bible's all about this. David wrote poetry of death over the death of Saul and his best friend Jonathan, right? Jeremiah wrote a whole entire book called Lamentations. The Bible is all about reality of grieving. So why have we learned in our life to medicate ourselves in our grief? Why have we lived a life of such a way where we are running and hiding from grief? What Scripture is saying here is that you are called to pay attention to your sorrow. Process it. Bring it forth. You're allowed to say, God, I'm, I'm mad. You're allowed to say, God, why is this happening? You're allowed to be angry. You're allowed to say, it hurts so much, I can't bear it. You're allowed to speak this way to God. You're allowed to. You don't have to, 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 to put up some sort of Christian front here. Just to, to some sort of glossy, rosy eyes, glasses that say, like, everything's fine. I'm doing great. I'm going to be okay. We're going to get through this. Jesus is in control. All these things. You're allowed to say, God, why did you even make me? I cursed the day I was born. You know who said that? Job said that. Okay, it's not me saying it. Job, in his deepest pain, he cursed the day. But he didn't just say this as a way of hiding from God. He paid attention to it. He gave himself into this moment. And in Jesus Christ, what did he do? He called his three closest disciples. And he tells them, sit with me. My pain and my trouble is deep to the point of death. He, he sat before the Father. And he actually begged him, please take this cup from me. Take it from me. We need to pay attention to our anger and our sadness. I, I want to give you guys that permission to do that. I, I want to give you the permission to realize that if things are going bad in your life, you can grieve. If, 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 if there's situations medically that's happening to you, you can grieve. There's a loss that's happening in your life, you can grieve. You don't have to be in a group and just try to make everyone feel better because you're not feeling good. Pay attention to that. Talk to God about that. Bring it before him. Embrace it. You know, the first time I ever heard this happen, it shook me, right? I was, um, I was, I was a youth pastor. And I, I usually uh, took my youth group kids to other churches because it, it was a small group. So we took, I took them to um, Rock Harbor one time. It was a church in Costa Mesa. And the pastor at that time was Mike Erie. Right, uh, he's a great, he's a great pastor. I love him. Right, but we came on, on on this eve where he was sharing something that was very deeply troubling him. His wife was pregnant, so everyone was like, "Yay!" Right, and he's like, "Hold up." We found out the baby has Down syndrome, and everyone was like, "Oh!" Did everyone got silent? We didn't know how to react. Like, uh, what do we do? Right, and then he said, "You know, the worst thing." that people keep coming and tell me is that you're going to love this child. So I know I'm going to love this child. It's going to be the, it's, 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 
Don't think bad. It's going to be great. It's like, no, no. This is horrible. This is not great. This is the brokenness that we live in. Don't tell me it's awful. Oh, don't tell me it's good. Don't tell me it's going to work out for me. This is not a good place. And he was just ranting in front of his congregation. And that was the first time I realized you can. You don't have to justify bad things with rosy colored words that you can come before God and recognize there's real brokenness. I'm to blame. The world's to blame. Things around here is just really horrible. And things are happening, God. Things that we don't understand. But I want to let you know. I want to lay it down before you. And you know what happens? Can, can I share with you guys? You know what happens? We don't process grief correctly. We begin to leak. We become leaky Christians. We leak out what? Passive-aggressive behaviors towards each other. Because we haven't learned to grieve correctly. We, we start leaking what? Sarcastic remarks. Nasty tones of voice. Giving the silent treatment to others. Because we haven't learned to deal with our anger. We haven't learned to deal with our loss. We haven't learned to deal with our sorrow. And so we become these leaky Christians who put on rose-colored uh, glasses who talk all these nice Christian words and yet inside we're dying. We're not close to God. We're not connected to Him. And we find ourselves actually being poisoned from the inside out. And we justify, but I'm doing all these great things for Jesus. No, you are a broken spirit. And instead of turning, we turn to what? Self medication for help. Anything to not feel. I'd rather cry over a Korean drama than cry over what's happening in my soul. Don't, don't laugh at me. You guys are doing it, right? I, I'd rather drink till I'm passed out drunk to think that I can drown my sorrow, but realizing that my, my sorrow has learned how to swim. I'd rather go and hide in a world of games and entertainment than actually live in reality. And God is saying, stop. Pay attention to that. Bring it to me. Voice it. Feel it. Engage in it. Offer it. Lament for me. Cry out to me. I'm bigger than that. I can handle it. You don't want to be born. You wish you were never born. I get it. You're mad at me. I understand. You're wondering why this is happening. I know. Bring it to me. Pay attention. Pay attention to our sadness and our anger. Here's the second thing. Verse 44, it says what? Said that, so he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the exact same thing. You know what happened here? Here's the second thing we do as we are learning to grieve. First, you pay attention to the emotion, but secondly, you wait in the confusion of the silence. Okay, let me say that. I, I had no other way to shorten that, okay? We wait in the confusion of the silence. He came to, Jesus came to the Father and he says, if it is possible, please take this cup from me. Did he hear a pep talk from God? You can do it. You're my son. Take it on, right? Man up, Jesus, you got this. Total, absolute silence. Silence. You know what you have to do. He leaves. Maybe I can get some comfort from my brothers. Why are you sleeping? <laughs> Pray with me. He goes back, gets on his knees. Please take this cup from me. Silence. No encouraging words. No voice, cosmic voice consoling him. I mean, when he got baptized, he got at least one word. This is my son whom I love and him I'm well pleased. Here in his darkest moment, silence. 
He leaves. So I wake up his buddies again. Come on, I'm alone right now, dudes, right? Can you at least be with me? Be with me in prayer. Don't leave me in this moment by myself. They couldn't even open their eyes, the Bible says. It was just how bad it was. And he goes back, the Bible says, well, for a third time he asked the exact same thing. Take this cup from me. I cannot bear, Father, to be separate from you. I have never known that feeling. I have never understood that feeling. I cannot be in a world where me and you are not connected. Please, is there another way? Silence. How do we begin to grieve the master's way? You learn to wait in the confusion of the silence. Why is it confusion? Because you're wondering, why is it happening? And why is it silent? Because no one is saying anything to you. You're not getting any direction. You're not getting any consolation. You're not getting any affirmation. You're not getting any encouragement. It's an absolute silence when you and your God and just your emotions and the pain, the loss, and the anger there. It's confusion. Like, I, I, I want to be happy, God. This world tells me happiness is what I'm supposed to be in. Everything's supposed to be happy. I'm supposed to be optimistic about everything, but I'm not. I'm hurting. I'm lost. I'm confused. What do I do? Wait in the confusion of the silence. This is the moment when you resist all earthly categories and quick solutions. You know those quick solutions of the, of the confusion? Let's go out there and try to fix it. Let's, 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 let's WebMD everything, right? Figure out all the situation. Let's, 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 let's go out. And you know what? I'm feeling sad. So let's go and do something that's, that's going to make me happy. Let's go out. Let's party. Let's just not think. Let's not feel. Let's not, let's not talk about it. But let's just go do something that's going to be just brain, no brain work. So that I don't have to deal with the actual issue. I don't have to deal with the silence. I don't have to deal with the confusion of why things are like this is happening to me. But scripture tells us what? Wait in the confusion of the silence. This is what we call the dark night of the soul. You guys remember that? The dark night of the soul is when you come before your God and he does not answer. He does not give you a reason. He does not give you a response. He doesn't give you a why. But he brings you there. He takes you into that darkness. Why? To rewire and purge your affections in such a way that you build deeper, deeper communion with him. You got to make the decision in that moment, in the confusion of the silence, you got to make the decision to trust God, to wait on God, to obey God, to stick with God, to remain faithful to God when everything around you wants you to quit. In that moment, in that darkness, in that craziness of the confusion of the silence, you, at this point, though you do not feel it, you make the decision, I'm going to stick to it. I'm going to stick to the silence. I'm going to stick to this moment. And what does Jesus say? Not my will, but yours be done. Take this from me. I don't want it. Why are you silent with me, God? Not my will. Yours be done. I'm lost. The pain is to the point of death. It hurts. But I'm going to stay here. I'm not going to run. I'm not going to self-medicate. I'm not going to deny. I'm not going to blame. I'm not going to point fingers. I'm not going to rationalize. I'm going to stay here with you. I'm going to stay here with you in the midst of this. Grieving as the master grieves. He takes us what? Pay attention. Pay attention to what's going on. Don't lock it down. Don't hide it. Pay attention to it. Make the reality. Give it word. Give it, give it life. Give it reality so that it becomes real and not just something that you hide from. But then wait in the confusion of the silence when you don't know why this is happening and no one's giving you an answer. 
but you just trust and walk and obey. Remain faithful. You can, you can curse God out, but remain faithful. You can question everything about your existence, but in the end, obey. You know what Job did? The greatest griever, of, he lost everything overnight. And we don't know how long he grieved for. Maybe months, maybe weeks, maybe years. And he just wanted an answer from God. And his friends tried to come and help him. They were worse. You know, when people try to help you and they give you the worst advice, that's what his friends did, right? This is what we do too. Us rosy colored glasses Christians, right? At the end of it all, God showed up and never gave him an answer. Just gave him a bunch of questions. Bunch of questions. But he waited in that silence. He waited in that confusion for months, years. We don't know. But you know what's crazy about Job? He never lost faith in his God. He never, he almost got there. He almost got there. You ever read it? I'm going to do it. This guy's about to break. I can see it, right? He almost got there, but he never lost it. He stayed true. Even though everything around him was collapsing, he stayed true. But here's the third thing. <clears throat> Verse 41. This is him talking to his disciples. He says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. The body is weak. Jesus recognized there are limits. He acknowledges the limits. He recognized there are limits. The flesh is weak. We are weak. We have limits to who we are. We need to understand ourselves in the way we grieve, in the way we come. One of the best places of recognizing, you know why it's important to recognize limits? Recognizing limits creates the heart of humility. Let me say that again. When you recognize your limits, then you understand humility. And when there is humility in your soul, when humility is part of, your, of, of who you are, it humbles you to know there are things you cannot change. There are things that are outside of your purview and your strength and your abilities. <clears throat> recognizing your limits gives you humility. There are a lot of limits we have. For example, our physical bodies have limits. It doesn't matter how much plastic surgery or how much exercise you go through, eventually you're going to age. You cannot stop the aging process. Your family of origin, you have limits with them. Some of you born are into a certain family that gives you certain limits in life, certain pl places in life. We've been, we, we've, been, we've been indoctrinated to think that somehow we are limitless. Somehow that everything, there, there's no boundaries for us. And so we go about, we do what? We, we, we have this larger-than-life fantasies, wishes for ourselves that our real lives can't even support. Because somewhere along the line, we hear these like slogans, right? There are no limits, right? Break your limits. It, there's always limits to your reality. The sooner you recognize that, the more of a humble spirit you come before God in it. Imagine a spirit that has no limits. Who, who, imagine a, 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 a person who, who, who lives their life doing more than what God intended for you to do. Thinking that I can do more. And all of a sudden, after a while, what happens? You begin to have the, superiority, the superior complex, believing that I can overcome it. I can get through it. I can fight this. You can't fight death. There are things you cannot control. There, there, there are situations that's outside of your ability to hold to. And when you begin to recognize there's limits to your life, it humbles you as a person. It humbles you as a human being. Your talents, your gifts, your material wealth, your time, your work, your spiritual understanding. When you recognize there are limits, it humbles you to a place where it leads you to come 
before your God in the actual right posture. See, if you don't recognize personal limits, you don't come to God with the right posture of humility. You come to God demanding. You come to God thinking, if I was in your place, God, I would know what to do. I would do this best. I would make this work. But Jesus never did that. And he himself, the son, did not come and say, I would know what's best. I will figure this out. He said what? Your will be done, not mine. Your will be done, not mine. He understood the limit of who he was as a man. He understood his limits and it brought him to humility. It brought him to humbleness before God. Some of us, we don't understand our limits. And so you sit thinking, I'm still going to be able to fix this. You're prideful about where you are. You're thinking, okay, I can control this. I can find a way through this. I don't need God right now. I can rationalize my way through this. I can deny this and make this happen for myself. I can make my life better. The lack of humility always leads you to a place where what? You're running. You're always going to be running. You may be able to get through one thing, but something's going to catch up with you. Something that you can never control will catch up to you. Ultimately, even death. Death is the last, death is the last big enemy that keeps you. You can't fight it. You can fight all these other things you want, but you can't fight death. You can't fight death for yourself, and you can't fight death for anybody else. Until you recognize your limit, you'll never be humble before God to receive his help. You follow? Until you recognize your limits, you will never come before God to see this. If I have a God big enough that I can blame, that I must have a God big enough that knows more than I can imagine. If I have a God big enough that I can blame for why all these things are happening, then it must be that I have a God big enough there are things that he does that I cannot understand. But you cannot come to that place if you do not have humility before God. And humility comes when you recognize limits, physical, emotional, spiritual limits before your God. Let me show you this last one, the climbing of this ladder of humility. Okay? How, how, do, I, how do I get, how do I become more humble, PT? Right? Okay, embrace my limits. Here's a ladder, okay? If you guys like want to, I put this on the notes later on if you guys want to read it. This is, and, th- and if you read this, if you, if you, let me share this with you. It comes exactly from this passage. The ladder of humility starts, the lowest rung is this, you fear God. The foundational rung is that you fear God and you're mindful of him. This is how you know you've come to a place of growing humility. There's a fear of God and that you are mindful of what he is doing. We often forget God's presence in our lives, acting as if he was not present. Embracing limits, climbing the ladder of humility, first thing and foremost, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of understanding these things. You, are, you stand in fear of who your God is, bigger than you, wiser than you, greater than you, and you're mindful of his presence. The second rung, I'll go through this kind of quickly, is doing God's will, not ours. How Jesus Christ does what? Surrendering ourselves to God's will. Not my will, Lord, but your will be done. Your will be done. Third, willing to subject ourselves to the directions of others. As you're climbing the ladder of humility, you begin to recognize, am I somebody who actually allows for others to speak truth into my life? Do I open myself in such a way where I'm allowing people to speak into the areas that I cannot see or am I isolating myself from others? If that's the case, you're not growing in humility. You're growing in your own personal pride and personal wanting of being in control. Are you somebody who's allowing for that to happen? The fourth one, you're patient to accept the difficulties of others. How Christ here in this place, he accepts what? The weakness of his three friends. His brothers who were supposed to be there with him ride and die, and they all fell asleep. Patient to accept that weakness in them, allowing those around us to figure out their weakness in their own way, in their own time. 
As you climb the ladder of humility, you begin to recognize there's a radical honesty to others about your weakness, about your faults. Here's the thing about losses and weakness and, and shame and guilt. You, we, we hide it. We hide it from each other. We hide it from one another. Why? Shame, guilt. I don't want people to know. I don't want people to think of me a certain way. Humility is the ability to share that weakness. This is the God of the universe here. And what did he say to his three idiotic disciples? Stay with me. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He didn't need to tell him that. He could have just said, hey, just chill. I got this, right? He shared it with them. He was transparent with them. He didn't hide it. See, when you hide these things, that's when they have power over you. But the willingness to speak them out, to express it, this is where you're climbing the ladder of humility, the next rung of humility. If you're unaware, I got this stone. This is uh, St. Benedict's. He has 12 stones. I, I didn't press it down to eight, okay? Rad, uh, deeply aware of being chief of all sinners, you recognize that you are actually a sinner before God. You recognize that he has no need to do anything unto you. He, should, he could just leave you to your own devices as is. And you recognize your presence, your, your, your state before him, that you are the chief of sin. That's why Paul, Paul the apostle, wrote majority of the New Testament, one of the greatest missionaries. You're here because of his work. He says what almost a majority of his letters, I am the chief of all sinners. I am the chief of all sinners. The closer in his relationship to God, the more humility he has before God, the more he begins to recognize his sinfulness before God. A lot of us, we don't recognize that. We're thinking we're okay. You're never okay before an infinite God. Whatever thing you think you're like, I, I'm pre, I think I'm pretty clean of that. There's more there. There's more work to be done, more things to dig out, more darkness and depth of there that needs to be cleaned out. There is still more. If you cannot see it, one reason probably is either your, your humility or there's lacking of humility in your life. Last two, purposeful to speak less. As you climb this ladder of humility, recognizing your limits, you end up being a person who doesn't need to say a lot of things. Right? The wise are known for their few words. They listen more. They're able to listen more. Because they recognize they probably don't know much. They're willing to let people speak. They're not out there just proclaiming, A, B, C, D, E. I know all these things. Let me tell you how to get through it. Let me tell you what to do. They listen. How great would it have been for Job's three friends if they just sat and listened instead of just nah, talk. And lastly, the top rung of humility is what? Transform into the love of God. In this place where we're at home with ourselves. No air of importance, no sarcasm, embracing our limits and those around us. As you climb this ladder, I want to ask, I mean, uh, please check the notes out, but I want to ask, where are you in this ladder before your God? Because the more humble you are, the more you begin to be in this place, the more you know that you'll be able to actually come before God. The more prideful you are, the more, the more, self, the, the, the more you self-focus on, on, on what you can't achieve or what you can't accomplish, the more you begin to not look to God or not need God or not want God. The, the thing that you still do, I'm in control. I can handle this. But as you climb the ladder of humility, you come to a place to recognize I have limits in my life. I know that, God. There's limits to my spiritual walk. There's limits to my life. There's limits to my finances. There's limits to my abilities. There's limits to who I am. I come before you. Come. Because this whole part of grieving, guys, is not about making yourself happy. The whole part of grieving here is a real human emotion that's supposed to drive you to God. 
that's supposed to bring you closer into relationship with God. If your grieving separates you from God, if your grieving creates a, a picture of God that is, that is contrary to what the Bible says, if your grieving creates this anger, this animosity, this inward bitterness towards God, you're not grieving correctly. The master grieves in how? He embraces his emotions. He pays attention to it. Right? The master, he does what? He waits in the confusion of the silence. He embraces his limits. Here's the last and final thing. Jesus accepts the anger, the loss, the death, because in the end, resurrection only comes out of death. Resurrection only comes out of death. Which means what? The best way through grief is to run towards it, not away from it. Grieving is like running to the east, not to the west. West is you're chasing the sun. East is that eventually the sun will what? Will rise. You let the old birth the new. Resurrection comes from death. Jesus knew that he had to see the cross and face it because he knows that from suffering and death brings resurrection and transformation. So in the same way, we trust our God with the many, many deaths that we experience in our lives. We trust in our God with the many, many deaths that we experience in our day-to-day -day moments, in our loss, in our grief, in our pain. We trust in our God with these many deaths because when we learn to grieve, the deaths we encounter will turn to transformation and resurrection. That's how God works. He does not just leave us in our sorrows. Though I am crying today, tomorrow I will rejoice. There will be a resurrection. There will be life in the midst of this grief, but you gotta run to it. You gotta be willing to go into it, not run away from it, not rationalize it, not deny it. Jesus went head first to the cross because he knew that only at the cross will transformation happen for you, for him, for the world. My prayer for you, church, for myself, honestly, is that we learn to grieve biblically, that we learn to grieve as the master grieves. Pay attention to them when they come, the emotions, the anger, the loss. Wait in the confusion of the silence because it will be there. Embrace the limits that brings you to humility. Embrace your limits. Stop trying to make yourself better than God. Embrace the limits in which you have so that it will bring you to your knees before Him. And hold to the hope of what? There will be a resurrection. When we face, when we're willing to face the death, there will be a resurrection. Let's pray.